0: Hi ladies, Anna-Sophie here, and welcome to the PCOS Trainer Podcast. We're going to talk about all things PCOS, fitness, how to achieve root cause resolution, and how you can lose fat without cutting out gluten, without cutting out dairy, and really optimizing your body through strength-based workouts. So keep on listening. I'm excited to share this episode with you. Hi ladies, welcome back to the PCOS Trainer Podcast. For any of you listening on the podcast, we're so glad you are here. Um, Just a quick reminder, if you're not already in our Facebook group, we do have a video content that goes along with this audio. So if you want to see the presentations, you want to see me talk, you want to join live, make sure you join our Facebook group. It's PCOS Fat Loss, and you can just search in the Facebook. I'll also leave a link in the description of this podcast. So without further ado, today we're going to talk about blood sugars, and your blood sugar balance. This is a key, key indicator with PCOS in particular because blood sugar dysregulation tends to be one of the main root causes of PCOS. About 80% of women with PCOS have insulin resistance and blood sugar plays a role in that. So today we're gonna talk about a few key topics, including what is your blood sugar, how to check it, what meters to use, why monitoring is so important, what affects your blood sugar levels, how to regulate your blood sugar, and what supplementations I suggest. So if you want to learn all these things, keep on listening. It's going to be a super exciting podcast. If you are tuning in live, feel free to ask questions below and I will get to the Q&A at the end. All right. So what is blood sugar? Well, blood sugar or glucose is the main sugar found in our bloodstream. It comes from the food we eat and it's our body's preferred source of energy. When you eat, your body breaks down the food, the glucose enters the bloodstream. When there's glucose or you know sugar in our bloodstream, the body then produces insulin. This is secreted by your pancreas in response to the glucose. And if you have a healthy pancreas or healthy blood sugar insulin level response, the pancreas should release the appropriate amount of insulin in relation to the glucose. So why is this so important? Well, I always like to say, and here's a little graphic for you, that insulin is kind of like a lock and a key. It's what allows the sugar to be transported into the cell. So at a cellular level, each cell has a receptor. The insulin binds to that receptor and allows the glucose to attach as well. The sugar transport vehicle that is within the cells goes to the surface of the cell, obtains the free glucose, and then transports it to the mitochondria of the cell, which is our cell's powerhouse, our cell's energy piece, and allows it to be used as energy. So it's very important to understand this because if you're someone that's struggling with insulin resistance, your cells are not getting the energy that they need. The sugar's not getting in, and it's not getting used as energy. So, what are some of the things that affect our blood sugar levels? Well, this really comes down to actually a very functional level. A lot of times we talk about, you know, the genetic component, and don't get me wrong, genetics play a role. But I want to talk a little bit about some of the things in our lifestyle that we can do to impact this. The first is going to be underlying inflammation within our body, toxin exposure, glycemic index or glycemic load of food, liver function, cortisol, exercise, hydration, sleep, and eating habits, whether you're eating good or bad food, right? So there's gonna be a few terms to really understand when it comes to blood sugar. And you could fall in this range, you could know people in this range, and I think it's important because they all are different. So first is gonna be your type one diabetic. This is when the pancreas produces little to no insulin. This really occurs in younger children or teens, um, and it starts fairly young. Next, you have insulin resistance. This means cells in your muscles, fat, and liver are not responding well to insulin. You can't use your glucose from your blood for energy, so to make up for it, your pancreas is producing more and more insulin, trying to keep up with the sugar levels that are going up higher and higher and higher. Insulin resistance leads into prediabetes. Prediabetes is a serious health condition where your blood sugar levels are higher than normal but not high enough to be diabetic yet. This tends to be due to things like stress, toxins, inflammation. This is almost like the chart you kind of go through, right? Next is type 2 diabetes. So when your pancreas is not producing enough insulin and the cells do not respond at all, this typically appears later in life due to lifestyle factors. So usually it starts off as your insulin resistance. It builds up to pre-diabetic, and if you don't get a hold of it, it converts into type 2 diabetes. Again, we see this a lot in older adults. I have a passion for um, public health and chronic health disease prevention. And I think that weight loss management, especially like PCOS, it really can lead into deep metabolic conditions. So being aware and understanding kind of the long-term health consequences and realizing that like, we need to take action towards these today to prevent ourselves from progressing to these disease states as we get older this is something i'm really passionate about and i know a lot of times on the surface level we come in and we're like i want to get fit i want to lose weight but i want you to remember the repercussions of being unhealthy when you're young we need to take care of our health and the last piece is insulin sensitivity which is different than insulin resistance insulin sensitivity is how sensitive the body cells are in response to insulin High insulin sensitivity allows the cells of the body to use glucose more efficiently, thereby reducing blood sugar levels. Lifestyle changes may help or even improve your insulin sensitivity. And that's what we want to talk a little bit about today. So how do we check our blood sugar levels? What I recommend doing is pricking your finger and getting a test. I know this can be a lot for some people, especially depending where you are in the spectrum, um, but there's a few different tests we like to take. The first is gonna be fasted glucose. We take this right when you wake up. We see where your body is kind of as a baseline after waking up before food. Next, we want two hours postprandial. Sometimes we'll do this through each meal throughout the day. Sometimes we just do it with the first meal, but usually um, what we're doing is trying to see what does the body respond to after it's been given food? Does your insulin or does your sugar level spike or do they come back down to your baseline? The next few tests you typically get done through your um, doctors, these are more long-term tests. So one would be testing A1C, which is your blood sugar over three months, and then fasted insulin, which is taken um, through a blood lab test. So we want to take these tests and see where your blood sugars are at and if you're falling within this range. A normal range is around 5.6. Um, prediabetes is 5.7 to 6.4 and diabetes is 6.5 plus. So why is it so important that we're monitoring our blood sugar levels? Well, it can help prevent diabetes, okay? This is important. You're at risk for diabetes with insulin resistance. Monitoring your blood sugar regularly can help you become aware of your current health state, help you alter your lifestyle, eating behavior, stress before more serious health conditions occur. Monitoring glucose regularly is the best way to keep your levels in an optimal range Diabetes really is a silent disease, so a lot of people don't notice it coming on. And if it's left untreated, there may be permanent damage done to internal organs. People can lose limbs. They can lose, I know people that have done this, and it's crazy because it's something that if we monitor while we're young, we can make lifestyle changes, we can prevent this from happening. So what is a glycadian rhythm test? It's a combination between a circadian rhythm, the natural rise and fall of cortisol, and glucose and how they affect each other. Your ideal blood sugar set point level should be in the high 70s to low 90s. Should have a natural rise of about 20 to 30 MGDL above your set point, and you should go back to your set point following the two hours postprandial. So what is the number one reason for high blood sugar. And I love talking about how these tie together because so many women say, I have an insulin resistant PCOS. I have an inflammatory PCOS. Please understand that these issues go hand in hand. And if you have one, you very likely have the other. It's like a chicken and egg situation. The number one reason for high blood sugar is inflammation. Number one reason for inflammation is high blood sugar, right? What is causing inflammation in your body that could be triggering? The first I want to talk about is going to be toxin exposure. Constant exposure to toxins like BPA, fire retardants, pesticides trigger inflammation in the body. Elevated toxins block the absorption of glucose into the cells. This could look like things like pesticides on our food, using um, chemicals in our beauty or health products, um, you know, looking at if you're buying organic, are you cooking on Teflon? Are you, you know, all these different things add up, you know, your fish has mercury in it. I don't want you to be terrified of these things, but be very aware and start being conscious about the level of toxins that we're exposed to. And I can't help but say this, obviously, the modern American standard diet is quite, you know, carb, sugar, (laughs) inflammatory food but I can't help but think, you know, the environment, the world we live in where we have so much toxins and chemicals, why do you think there's an increase in PCOS? Why do you think there's an increase in endocrine disorders, and chronic disease? The way we are living is not the way our body is designed to be optimal. And I think that being aware of this is going to be huge. The next is going to be your glycemic index and glycemic load. This is how what you eat matters. We like to stick to food that has a lower glycemic index, about 45 to 60 grams of fiber per day to control your blood sugar spikes. So again, I don't think that these higher glycemic index foods are bad in moderation, but majority of your diet should be low GI food. This means it digests slower and it stops your blood sugar from spiking. Some examples, you know, low GI would be things like chickpeas, cabbage, mushrooms, lettuce. High GI is going to be things like bread, donuts, cornflakes, french fries, right? High GI food. I always say the easier it is to break down, the quicker it is to eat, probably the higher GI it is. Next is going to be to have good healthy eating habits. So I recommend actually slowing down when it's time to eat taking calm, deep breaths to lower your heart rate. And I always say the order of the way you eat food is important as well. So starting with your proteins, then your fats and fibers before adding carbs in. It can also be very helpful to intermittent fast for 12 hours and make sure that you're eating every two to 2.5 hours. So that means having enough time throughout the day for your food to properly digest. And then of course, having frequent meals throughout the day as well to stop these crazy peaks and spikes um, that we tend to have with our blood sugar. Now, this one might be crazy to you if you haven't known this. But exercise is more effective than metformin at lowering blood sugar. And I don't know why people don't talk about this, right? Exercise literally pulls the sugar out of your bloodstream and your body uses it. So it's the best way to lower your blood sugar levels. I recommend being very active throughout the day. Walking at least 10 minutes after each meal will help bring down your blood sugar levels. Training at least three times per week. Staying active, like getting a good step count in or walking for a set amount of minutes outside each day, Um, but being careful with things like HIIT cardio and overtraining because overtraining and HIIT cardio can actually rise your blood sugars due to the stress that's being put on your body. Another piece you can add in is going to be your hydration. So less water in your body means your blood sugar is more concentrated. Drinking water can help reduce your blood sugar by diluting the amount of sugar in the bloodstream. So a lot of girls I'm seeing struggling aren't drinking enough water. So making sure you're drinking enough not only helps alleviate dehydration that comes with, you know, excess urination from high blood sugar levels, but it also helps keep the the blood sugar diluted in your bloodstream. So water, like we hear about water is good for us, but water is like the key to our health. And if you're not drinking enough, that's a really great place to start as well. Now we want to talk about the liver because the liver is a place where a lot of hormones are converted within our body. And it's actually responsible for a lot of your base metabolic rate, actually 15 to 80% of your base metabolic rate is in the liver. Things like alcohol and medication can really put a stress and a burden on your liver. So one of the things that we like to focus on is liver detoxification during our metabolic reset phase to help optimize your liver function. This is gonna in turn improve your base metabolic rate, improve conversion of hormones, and help your body with your blood sugar levels and inflammation as well. Next, you girls hear me talk about this a lot, so I could go on and on and on. It is your cortisol. Cortisol is the stress hormone. Cortisol and blood glucose have an interdependent relationship. When cortisol is high, blood sugar is high. Blood sugar levels that remain high throughout the day indicate you are under a level of stress. This is why it's so important, you hear me talk about it a lot, to focus on your stress management. If you're not focusing on stress management, you're taking the medication, you're doing these things and your blood sugar is still high, please understand how all of this goes together because it's going to play a huge, huge role in your health, your long-term health and why you're not seeing functional health changes as well. These all contribute to the weight loss resistance that's going on. And I tell girls, it's got to work on the mindset too. It's not just your diet. There's so many pieces going into this. So what are some things that you can add in to help manage your blood sugar? For cortisol support, I really recommend things like Ashkawanda, um, doing things like a cortisol reset where we're pulling out excess training and having some adaptogen herbs. For sleep, I recommend trying to get an extra couple hours of sleep per night, trying to pull back on any stressors or things going on. Um, 5-HTP can be very helpful for sleep. Taking um, a glucose disposal agent, which I know sounds super fancy, but things like berberine can be very, very helpful in managing blood sugar levels. Um, And in nice, I can't pronounce it this one, you guys are going to kill me, encanase, helps with insulin signaling and overall function as well. So these are a couple supplements that I really do recommend for you, girls, if you're trying to balance your blood sugar. But I want to just reiterate time and time again, you can't out-supplement a poor diet. So if you are not working on your stress, your sleep, balancing your plate and your diet with low GI foods regular times per day, making sure we're improving digestion, removing toxins and inflammation from our lifestyle. It doesn't matter what supplements you take, right? You have to look at the whole picture. So I know there's a lot in this presentation today and I'm so excited being able to go through it with you girls. I would love to hear from any of you that are on here live if you have any questions for me. So feel free to ask away and I will be happy to respond. All right, so let me see what I got here in my chat box. Okay, so one girl asked, how frequently should you take your blood sugar levels? So I recommend for my clients at least once per week. So I like to have them do a fasted, like we talked about a little bit earlier in the presentation. That's where we prick our finger in the morning. We see where our fasted glucose is at. And then we'll usually do one post after their first meal or after exercise and see how your body is responding there. Um, occasionally, I'll have them do, you know, each meal of the day, just so we have a full kind of glycadium rhythm, test, and this can tell us again, is your body utilizing food? Can it handle more food? are we in a stressed state? There's a lot of data we can pull from it. One of the monitors that I have recently purchased is actually the keto mojo one off of Amazon um I was just using a generic one which was fine, but I like that one because Not that I'm a big promoter of keto, but if you do go into it, it's cool to see it does the ketones as well. Um, And also it's cool because it keeps the data. So for me, I always forgot what I took in the morning and it just syncs to my phone. So when I go and fill out my charts with my data at the end of the week, I can look at all the different readings. So yeah, that's one I would recommend. All right, here's another question. How much does stress management play a role it does play a big role. Like I said, if we're seeing constantly high glucose levels and you are not, you know, you're not managing your stress well or you've got things going on. I hate to say this, but if you're someone that has a lot in your life, like work, kids, extracurriculars, and you're noticing your body not changing, I'm not saying give up everything's important in your life, but look at what you really need to do. And sometimes we have to go into what I call a cocoon phase really look internally and really try to heal um, and take load off our plate because our body often can't handle the stress that we've put on it. That's going to be huge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Next one is about the glycemic load. So I actually have this here. So Foods that are in the glycemic load. Um, Again, like I like to always say that you should majority eat whole foods. And again, blood sugar plays a role in inflammation. Inflammation plays a role in blood sugar. So, removing a lot of the inflammatory foods are high GI foods. Not all, you know, like fruit and things could obviously be higher GI as well. Like watermelon, and that's um, more of a whole food. But I like to really think, you know, where's our fiber count at? Is it around 40 grams a day? Are we eating a lot of green veggies? Do we have lean meats? Do we have anti-inflammatory oils? These things are going to really, really contribute to a healthy diet. And this is why, and I'm going to go to rant here, why I'm not a big fan of saying just cut gluten and dairy. Because yes, in theory, cutting gluten and dairy removes some inflammation if you have a problem with those foods. Why are you having a problem with those foods in the first place? Are they heavily processed? Do they have the pesticides in them? Not only that, but we have to think as well. What if you're just replacing them with this processed gluten-free pasta, whatever, processed gluten-free bread, you're not addressing your blood sugar levels, which doesn't help you. Now in turn, if you're someone that eats a very unhealthy diet and you cut gluten and dairy, initially you might feel better because you've taken away some of those highly processed foods and you're probably eating a little better. Anyone that's extremely unhealthy and makes a few minor changes that are healthier or swaps is going to initially see a change. But if you're someone that's gluten free dairy-free, and your body's not changing, we're not addressing your blood sugar levels, we're not addressing underlying inflammation, we're not addressing stress, we're not looking at your total calorie load or metabolic rate, all of these things play a role in why your body's not responding to weight loss and why you're still struggling with PCOS. So again, it's I don't want to say it's a terrible first step, but I always say it's almost like a cop-out because you don't want to, to learn how to eat an anti-inflammatory blood sugar balanced diet. And I'm all about education. As you can't tell from this lesson today, um, I want you to know how to, you know, ultimately sustain on your own long term. All right, girls, I'm going to call it there for the presentation. If you have any questions at all, seriously, any, um, please feel free to ask in our Facebook community. Again, if you're listening to the audio of this, I will post the link in the description. Uh, But thank you so much for joining today, and I will see you all next week. Bye.